This is our first podcast for, at least now, the working title is going to be Wrong Real. And uh, my name is James Hancock, and I'm here with Parker Dixon and Mikhail. How do you pronounce your last name? Karadimov. Karadimov. I should have guest first. <laughs> and yeah, it's going to be a podcast devoted to film news and film reviews and film analysis, basically anything and everything that is awesome about this medium in which all three of us work. But for now, what is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Reels, podcast for hardcore cinephiles. We tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today is our episode 500, where we're going to be looking back on basically the entire history of the podcast, and more importantly, all the films and people that we've discovered along the way. And who better with which to share this sentimental journey than Becky Deanna, who I think has listened to every single episode and been... Banging the drum on our behalf every step of the way since the earliest days. But Becky, welcome back to Wrong Real. Oh, thanks for having me. This is my favorite film podcast, as you know. And yeah, I've I've listened to every single episode that you've ever recorded. And actually, some of them I've listened to multiple times. And actually, one of them I'll, we'll talk about later. I think I've listened to like five times. Very nice. Excellent. Yeah, but some of them are just just so enjoyable to listen to. But um, I remember I when I you – I remember reading on Twitter that you had started a podcast and I think he started in October. Yeah, it was, 20- it was either late September, or early October of 2014. So yeah, 2014. Five, about five and a half years ago. Yeah. So it was funny because I remember seeing the tweets about, oh, this is my new show. And I'm like, oh, that's go Jamie. That's great. And then I just hadn't listened to any of them. And then I think it was New Year's uh, Day. I went for a run and I'm like, oh, I'm going to listen to um, an episode. And I just became obsessed with it. My whole run, it was, you guys cover like, um, oh, what was it? I think it was the Ten Commandments or something. And I don't know. You were so hilarious. Probably Jamie. the Ten Commandments because Mikhail would have fought me with a knife to avoid tackling a movie like the Ten Commandments. I, I was going to look up which one it was, but I remember you ha- you went off on some you went off on some tangent about, I don't know. There are no tangents on wrong reel. How dare you? <laughs> I remember laughing so hard and becoming obsessed with it. And then then over the next month, it took me, I think, like six weeks to catch up on all your back catalog of episodes from September to January. And it was my favorite. Po- and it still is my favorite film podcast. And I don't think it was until October 2015 that you that I got to come on your show. Gotcha. So your first episode, was it Albert Brooks or Bergman? It was Albert Brooks. Gotcha. And, and, I, and the genesis of that was we went we had dinner at Comic-Con uh, in 2015 and I've been wanting you to cover Albert Brooks forever and you had just uh, covered the Terminator franchise and I was in a fashion like, that uh, made you uh, prone to violence yeah I remember driving in my car and I was screaming out the radio and I was upset by stuff that Mikhail was saying about Michael Bean and, and it was just it was just <laughs> couldn't process it and then I remember we had dinner and I said hey I know I've asked you to to do Albert Brooks but I don't want you guys to touch him anymore because <laughs> I was afraid you were gonna ruin him like by something I loved and then you said well why don't you come on wrong reel and then you can take care of him and that never even ever occurred to me to come on a podcast and and then then I got excited and I did all this research and I bought a microphone and I said I want to do this and maybe if I do, do it well you'll ask me to come back and then in that Albert Brooks episode I think the end of it you're like hey you should come on and talk about Ingmar Bergman so then then I was like oh my god they asked me back before I even 
finish the episode. It well, was I think exciting. Either you or Marcus are probably running neck and neck for the most guest appearances. I mean, obviously, Mikhail, since he was one of my co-founders, has been like on like 120 probably. But for yeah. people who were not there for as like, like as a co-founder, yeah, you're definitely in the mix as one of our most frequent uh, frequent guests. But yeah, since the beginning, the guiding principle for me has always been try to find people who are rabid fanatics on a particular topic and just turn them loose because I feel like there's nothing more infectious than just genuine hardcore enthusiasm. And you have a, a, a lot of enthusiasm. So <laughs> it's great to be able to tackle a variety of topics. But I always say this on the podcast, but the most fun I've had with this podcast over the last five and a half years is this little corner of the internet that we've carved out. And it's always kind of changing and shifting and some people fall out, some people come on board, but like, it's just so much fun to see, well, also just have all these new friends and then seeing them collaborating, interacting. I mean, uh, the girl I've been seeing recently was listening to an episode with Bill Scurry. And when I told her I'd only known him a couple of years, she was like, oh my God, it sounds like y'all have known each other like your entire lives. And I was like, yeah, like wrong real feels like that. Like it's only five and a half years old, but it feels like we just have this circle of friends that's become very right. close and very intimate. And it's been a very satisfying, rewarding experience overall. It has. I, I feel like uh, I haven't been to New York since the Men in Black 3 premiere, <laughs> um, and that was in 2012. But I feel like now if I went to New York, I could have a dinner with like 15 friends. Absolutely. Just live in New York. <laughs> like, I, obviously, I saw you when I went there last, but it uh, and some other friends. But I it's just it's incredible because, uh, I, there are some people that I've never met before that I, that I talk to like every day from the wrong real community that I think I would like literally jump in front of like a, if a bus was coming, I would like jump in front of them to save them. Like Matthias Vanderroos, we've been, t we talk like every single day Very nice. and <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And you know, there's some people like, I remember Matthias uh, contacted me right after I did the first Igmar Bergman episode. And he, we talked for like, like we sent all these direct messages about Igmar Bergman. And then like we, now we still, we talk, we talk every single day and it's coming online. And, and I think some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life, I've met through that have been guest hosts on wrong rail. Yeah. It's, it's funny exciting. when I was at uh, Marcus's wedding a couple weeks ago and I met Leanne Kubich in the flesh, flesh for the first time. And when you hear someone's voice that you've been listening to and hearing for years, but never actually met. It's almost like a weird out of body experience. Like I used to have this with World of Warcraft where I'd meet my World of Warcraft friends who had only known by voice and all these intense scenarios online. And you're like, oh my God, like, can we just like close our eyes and talk? Cause it's just easier to interact. Cause it just sounds more normal. But yeah, I don't know how many people I've met in the flesh now through wrong real, but every month I try to find some new folks to, uh, to bring into the crew. And, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, a lot of water under the bridge. Like I'm thinking like in the five and a half years since we started this thing, like I released a uh, feature film cheating and a couple of animated shorts like Lonely Stoplight and Cop Dog. And obviously Bill Tech and Bill Scurry and I did uh, the films that define New York. And like, you know, there've been stuff that's gone on, on the side. Like I created my YouTube channel, which now is 20,000 subscribers, but it's just Amazing. incredible how much, I guess, media we have a consumed and created <laughs> in this time. And yeah, I guess we, let's just see um, if we can match and or exceed or surpass in the years but to come. How about how how many lives you've affected? I think just people's like the fact that there there are a handful of people who have started their own podcast because of you, um, like John Lobinger. Um, That's incredibly satisfying. When I see people saying, "Oh, I was like that dumbass is no smarter than I am. I'm going to start a podcast." <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think that's that's it. I think it's just like this is so cool. This is something I want to make part of my life. And I know Marcus Penn started a podcast uh, after Wrong Real, and um, there's a handful of people. It's just been really amazing. And and you know, you changed my life too. Like I I I've been I've had over 40 podcast appearances um, because of Wrong Real, and it's it's so crazy because I was talking to somebody the other day that wanted to be on a podcast, that just a a film fan that reached out to me, and and he's like, well, I, I don't. How do you do that? And I said, oh, you know, you can you can just like if there's you have a great idea, you could pitch it to a host and see if they're interested. And he's like, oh, is that what you did? And I'm like, actually, it's not because I've just been so lucky. Once I went on your show, then like eight other shows contacted me over the years that wanted me to be on their shows. And I've never had to go to someone and say, hey, I really like to be on your show. I've just been so lucky because your shows brought me so many amazing people in my life and other shows that just want me to be on. And I also never saw myself as knowing more about Igmar Bergman than anyone else. But then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, I guess I know a lot more about him than I thought I did. Yeah, I, a lot I, like, of people- I like to believe that in our circle, we've got certain filmmakers really covered really well. Like there's yeah. no person alive who knows more about Claire Denis than Marcus Penn. Like there's certain filmmakers, like if you want to know about these filmmakers, like come to us, we got you covered. But I found this letter or this message on Facebook, which kind of sums up everything I love about running this podcast is a fellow named Sean Keith wrote me recently and it just based, this is what keeps the podcast going but he wrote I imagine tons of people write you daily but I thought I'd reach out my dad just passed one month ago I discovered your podcast a week after he passed I grew up watching classic movies with him it became our thing you might say all kinds of 30s 40s and 50s classics most of them westerns I buried my dad with the Roy Rogers comic book I drove a truck for a long time and I'd take my dad with me and listen to podcasts all the way he never got to hear your show but he would have loved it when I listen to you talk about these older movies with such passion it reminds me of talking to my dad our favorite western was the law and jake wade with robert taylor and richard widmark if you've never watched it you definitely should anyways just want to let you know how much i enjoy your podcast now it makes me happy listening to it also sad sometimes because of all the little random things you know about movies those are things that my dad and i would discuss on a daily basis good to know that someone else loves these films as much as we do so that's like genuine i mean i'm i like to believe i've got a heart of stone and i'm a cold cynical bastard but when i get (laughs) when i get a, a message like that i'm like wow that's uh that, that, that hits me right here and the place yeah. where my heart ought to be and uh, puts a big smile on my face. Yeah, and I just think there's so many fans out there that uh, love this show because they love celebrating film and also just discovering different filmmakers and or, or you know, one of the things that I really am proud of is I felt like uh, along the way, Dave and, and you and I have really, I, I feel like, made Igmar Bourbon accessible. And I think we've always believed that he's accessible to anyone, but there's so we many people out there. We definitely have made fresh converts. Like, we, every yeah. once in a while we'll get a message like, you know, I never wanted to watch this movies. They sounded boring as shit, but I watched this and holy shit, that was really good. And so, yeah, yeah we have definitely brought some people into the fold on Bergman. Yeah, because I think so, for some reason people think of him and they just think he's just uh, just inaccessible and, and bleak and just and not for them. And if you liked great dialogue and you great and great stories and, and acting and um, just extraordinary filmmaking, you you're you will. There is a film of his in his filmography for you. Well, there's a good chance some Bergman might come up over the course of this episode because there's one that I did discover as a result of one of our episodes that I will be bringing up so as I mentioned before we're going to be ping-ponging back and forth and the rules are for our little game is we're going to be talking about our favorite movies we've discovered because of the podcast it can't be a movie that we are familiar with prior to the podcast and it's not necessarily about what are the best episodes or we'll give some honorable mentions on that front toward the end but this is all about what flicks have we discovered because of Wrong Reel and so Becky since you're my guest of honor I'm going to let you we're going to start with you what is your 
your number five favorite movie that you've just seen for the first time because of this little show. Okay. And I feel like don't judge me out people out there for not seeing some of these movies because that's the beauty of wrong reel and the beauty of being a film fan and what is actually on my film website is never too late to discover a great film. So there are films that I am going to cover that, um, I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to be like, can't believe Becky's never seen this movie, but uh, I probably that's the heard worst it. kind of behavior. And someone's like, oh my God, you haven't seen The Godfather? It's like, well, guess what? They have the, the joy of a great experience awaiting I, them. So it's like I have the shaming people over what they've seen or not seen because everybody's got to start somewhere. So Yeah, and also there's, it's just impossible to have seen everything. It's just there's so many blind spots I have. And also um, one of the things I always say too, if someone's like, oh, I can't believe I haven't seen like a Fitzbergman. I haven't seen The Seven Seal yet or I'm ashamed to say that I haven't seen this. And I'm just like, for me, it's always my answer is I'm just so jealous of you and that you get to see this movie for the first time. Even Tarantino like, how- has blind spots. Like I heard an interview where he was talking about how he never saw the George Cukor version of A Star is Born for whatever reason. He's just been saving it. He likes the idea of saving certain movies. And yeah. so for everybody out there who's a George Cukor fan, I'm like, what? How could you have not seen A Star is Born? Judy Garland was fantastic. But everybody from Tarantino to Scorsese to Bogdanovich to whomever, pick any film freak that you care to mention. They've got blind spots. But blind yeah. spots are cool because it means you get to keep your enthusiasm alive and well. Like when I was in college, I discovered a shitload of movies for the first time. And I, I like most young people, I was like, oh, well, I know everything there is to know about film history. But if anything, the last five and a half years have taught me on this podcast, there's always new frontiers to explore. Like the most recent episode I did with um, Robert O'Mara about Irish cinema, most of those movies I saw for the very first time. So yeah, there's, there's always more stuff to learn and more ways to enrich your palate. Right. And, and as a Bergman fan, I've seen 42 of his films. There's a few films that I have that I haven't seen because I'm still saving them. So there you go. So my fifth film is 1973's The Wicker Man. Oh, hell yeah. Very cool. I am come to the low country oh, Which has been covered twice. We covered once with Parker and once with Alana. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the episode that I that I just really, uh, really gravitated to was the one with Alana um, Levin, who's just she was just luminous. I just loved her episode. I just it was just an extraordinary episode, and I loved hearing you guys talk about it. But The Wicker Man was a movie that I'd always been interested in seeing. I, it sounded peripherally like, oh, this is a great film, but I just never really took the deep dive. And it was it was on my list to see for a long time. And then you guys had celebrated it twice on the show. And, and I like and I'll listen to sometimes I'll listen to a sh- an episode uh, of a movie I hadn't seen just because I'm like, oh, I probably won't see that for a long time. And I probably won't even remember if stuff gets spoiled. But um, <clears throat> I loved this movie is so creepy. And it's so funny. It was 
just fun listening to your episodes, your episodes, because both episodes that you're on one with Parker and then the second one with Alana, you know, you're like, this is a great place. I love this island. I want to live in this island. (laughs) And I'm like, this is the scariest place I've ever seen. I would be like Sergeant Howie and be like, I got to get the F out of here. Yeah, that was actually the very first episode recorded in my new place. I moved into a new apartment almost two years ago and the place was totally empty except for a stack of like Jack Kirby comics. But Alana's a huge comic fan. She was like, all right, well, I like the Jack Kirby comics. (laughs) She was impressed by that. But literally, we didn't even have a, a plastic table set. We had like two chairs and like a little stool for the recording gear, but I was making the uh, the move to the to, to the new Wrong Real headquarters. But man, that movie it's special, and every time I revisit it, the music gives me chills all over again. The climax gives me chills all over again. Yeah. Christopher Lee, his favorite performance, but. Yeah, it's a remarkable movie and justifiable, probably the most beloved cult classic ever made in Great Britain. It's it's just the paranoia in it is is uh, is just very palpable. <laughs> and, it, and for somebody like me who I like actually, I I like you you say that in that um, the bar sequence, you would like, oh, I love to be in that bar and I love to hang out. And I'm just like oh, this. This place would scare the hell out of me. Everything about it, the way that they talk and then the, the way they won't send the dinghy to him in the beginning. It's just like what happens when you think about when you go into a small town and you're like, I don't know, this place isn't for me. Um, so When in doubt, just get totally shit-faced and in, in case of the Wicker Man, start making love. Because if he, if he had accepted some of his advances, he would not have been eligible to be sacrificed at the end. So yeah, he should have just gotten into that free love and he would have been fine. So I sent you um, the Radiohead video, Burn the Witch, uh, because I wanted you to have seen it. And just so you know, Jamie and I haven't told each other what our picks are before the show. They're going to be surprises for us. But uh, I kind of did a cheat because I didn't tell him I was covering The Wicker Man, but I really wanted you to see this video. Had you seen it before? I did not know that. Oh, okay, great. It's uh, Radiohead, uh, their last album, uh, Moonshape Pool. They did uh, their first single, Burn the Witch. They did a little stop motion animation video. And it's amazing. And you guys should check it out. And we should tweet it out when the show uh, gets gets dropped. But uh, it's it's great. It's a it's a definitely homage to the Wicker Man. And it's great. It's like this town mayor comes in and he's like seen a bunch of unsettling things throughout the town and it's kind of creepy. And then they kind of just lead him into this big wicker band and they go to set him on fire. Yeah, I mean, it looks like this old school Rankin Bass, like yeah. 60s stop motion ones. It looks really innocent, but yeah, by, by the end, you got a full blown wicker man. And uh, yeah, it's, it's delightful. It's yeah, got 36 it million problem. views too. So people, people yeah. I imagine more people, yeah. more people probably have seen this video than have actually seen the Wicker Man. Probably. Well, it's so funny because it's ba- it's also based off this Shire series, a British television kids series, and I guess this similar animation. And I guess those the people, the family that 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 show is from, were not happy that gotcha. they use similar similar. Um, I don't know. They thought it thought it sort of tarnished their brand, but it's just a it's a creepy it's creepy too. And I actually like how that video sort of uh, is is more in line with how I feel about the Wicker Man. About this is really creepy, and that it's a it's a criticism of authority and that like kind of groupthink and that it's just there's a paranoia a mi- ability to uh, angle around it, and that's exactly how I view the movie. And so I like that this 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 uh, video sort of is in the same vein as that. Very cool. My number five is an episode where you appeared. Wrong Reel, episode 300. Oh, and also mention the episode numbers when you can, just so that people can, if they want to go oh, back and I, listen. Yeah. So so uh, The Wicker Man was episode 371. It was called The Regenerative Influences of The Wicker Man with the great Alana Levin. Very nice. Well, my, my number five is on Wrong Reel 396. 
and we tackled a couple different Bergman movies. Those you and Dave Eves, we've, we've done, I don't know how many episodes about our Bergman. We've done a lot. But I discovered The Right for the first time, a movie that I know you're not necessarily the world's biggest fan of, but like I, the older I get, the more I like really provocative, unsettling cinema, movies that just take you out of your comfort zone and make you just experience all sorts of really diabolical or cringe inducing or just nightmare scenarios and the right is uh it's about three crazy fucking actors who <laughs> 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 constantly fucking each other and putting on this wildly erotic performance and it just builds and builds and builds and gets darker and bleaker and more sinister and more traumatizing until you it just it it's very short, but it crescendos and peaks beautifully with this incredible performance that's like everything I would want live theater ever to be. And I was like, oh, wow, this is the, the movie that Bergman made for me. Like, obviously, I would never argue that it's as good as some of his most notable films like Cries and Whispers or Seventh Seal or, you know, Hour of the Wolf or whatever or Persona. But in terms of personal taste, yeah, I love movies about showbiz. I love erotic movies. I love scary movies. And The Right just stirs them all together. It was a made-for-TV movie, but I was floored by how much I like this. I saw it on Filmstruck, so Filmstruck RIP. A lot of things have happened during the five and a half years of this podcast, one of which is the destruction and demise of Filmstruck. Aw, yeah, RIP for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I've, that's exciting that you picked a Bergman episode. And, and yeah, that what that's obviously not one of my favorite Bergman films, but it was really awesome talking about it. Uh, I love that Bergman sort of made that movie right after uh, Shame because Shame just drained him. So he made that movie just like how he made all these women right after he made The Silence because he just needed like a break. And I also love how um, before he did a little interview right uh, that they aired before they aired the movie that essentially he was telling people um, like, hey, if you're going to complain and grumble um, about like films, uh, just if you, you don't think you're going to like this, just turn off your TV and read a book instead of watching this movie. <laughs> like he did that sort of just disarm people before this movie. So it was great. And uh, yeah, I'd love, I love, Dave and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever that you were like, this is the greatest movie. I love the right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the Bergman is like, it's not like that. I feel like with some filmmakers, there's like the films that you're supposed to like and the films that they yeah. all, everybody agrees upon are like second tier, third tier. But with Bergman, you ask Bergman fans what their favorite Bergman movies are. You're going to get a wide range yeah. of answers yeah and that's what i said there's all like i said if you've never seen a bergman film before or you're weary about certain ones if you've seen one there always is one there's probably one for everybody and obviously you've appreciated a great many of them but i think we covered that within uh what did we also cover sawdust and tinsel and, and the, magician. the magician yeah both of yeah. which are fucking incredible as well i mean all yeah, three of those but- you can't go wrong yeah, but I also remember we used to. I remember John Lobinger said I I was I think I was on one of his episodes. Uh, I was talking about Bergman a few months later, and he said it was so funny how like you when you promoted this episode, like all your promotional tweets were all about the right. Yeah, because <laughs> like, well, I feel like it's it's a it's a lesser known and uh, and kind yeah. of neglected Bergman film. So everybody knows about Sawdust and Tinsel and the Magi- right. Magician if you're Bergman fans, but the right might have uh, escaped people's notice. So. Yeah, and it, it, I'm glad that we got we gave it its due, and it, I I love that you, we got you to see this Bergman movie you had never seen before. So it's exciting. Hell yeah! All right, well, number four, what do you got? Oh my gosh, uh, I have The Innocence. Oh, very cool! Nice. <laughs> <laughs> never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. (laughs) 
20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. Do they ever return to possess the living? Innocence, produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr, with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he... Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. Do they ever return to possess a living? And when did you first see and hear of such things? Why, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you the things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. episode that i was the creepy to. kids episode yes creepy kids and horror episode it's episode <laughs> i love that one 388 it's um and i'm gonna uh, say her name it's susan tecla Glinska. that's right you correct absolutely i i literally um wrote it in phonetically based on what you said in the episode because <laughs> i wanted to get it right um she's hosted the shining 237 um uh, this is the episode that i think i've listened to like five times I'm obsessed with this episode. This is you covered all sorts of creepy kids films. I one of the films you covered, I think I still haven't seen, which is Village of the Damned. Um, but well worth hunting down. Yeah, you guys gushed about the innocence and it's just very atmospheric. It's an amazing ghost story. It's gorgeous photography. Uh, the it's it's just it's 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 bone chilling, which is what you say in the film. And I mean, in the episode, you and uh, Susan both say that it was bone chilling at some point. And I think that's the perfect way to summarize that film. It's it's very and it's disturbing. And I also like how it's set up where you can interpret it two different ways based on based on um 
how you perceive the film. Like, is this, is this, uh, governess crazy or are these kids really possessed? Yeah. And I think you can come away with both. Yeah. I mean, it's Henry James at his finest turn of the screw. And they just, they just had a, a remake of it, the turning, which came out a couple weeks ago, which died a, a quick and agonizing death, but it's a classic ghost story. It's super short novel. It's only like 120 pages. You can rip right through it. So I read it, I think maybe like, a, I can't remember if I read it like a month before we recorded or like a month after, but in any event, I read it and it was, uh, one of those old school British ghost story classics that absolutely lives up to its reputation. But it's that's one of those movies where I remember I first discovered it through Guillermo del Toro. He had like a video of his top five favorite ghost stories. And I was like, whoa, that looks just... A, I mean, was it Jack Clayton who directed it? Or did he do... And Freddie Francis, who was the director of photography? Yeah, it was Jack Clayton as a director. Yeah, and it just... I mean, Deborah Carr and is one of the all-time great. She's just an absolute legend. Trooper Capote. Yeah. Helped write it. It, it, it's a very special if you like classy ghost stories and horror stories you cannot beat do better than the innocence it, it is that and I, I need to get susan back on susan has the uh distinctive achievement of being of delivering the funniest presentation i've ever seen live at a kevin geeks out performance where she was comparing and contrasting the shining tv show and the shining movie and i had uh-huh. tears pouring down my face my mother was right beside me because i was speaking the night she wanted to see me in action and she had no idea what the shining was she'd never seen the movies read the book she had clueless and even she she was cracking up at susan's uh performance so it was uh, it was a very special night uh, at kevin geeks out yeah she's so engaging to listen to she's she was fantastic and again one of the reasons why i listened to the episode five times i just love listening to her talk about all the intricacies of it and you guys just it just it's just a great topic creepy kids and horror i remember the first time i listened to it i'm like why aren't they doing children of the corn but you guys have to do creepy kids and horror part two i would i would love that absolutely yeah. All right. Well, my number four brings Marcus Penn into the conversation. Now, Marcus and I have done a lot of fun episodes, and I've discovered a ton of cool stuff through my conversation with Marcus. I've seen, I saw a lot of new Abel Ferrara films. I saw Michael Mann's The Jericho Mile for the first time. I saw Mike, uh, Michael Hanukkah's Funny Games, both of them, for the first time as a result. But the one that stands out to me the most was Rita Sue and Bob Two and Wrong Real 304, where we tackled Alan Clark. And Alan Clark is one of those directors. He's not for the faint of heart. His movies take you to very dark, disturbing places. And whether you're talking about Made in Britain or The Firm or Scum, either version of Scum, I prefer the first version, but then he remade it for cinemas after it didn't get aired on TV. And so when you go into an Alan Clark movie, you're expecting to just have like your soul torn into a million pieces. But Rita Sue and Bob 2, funny as fucking shit. Just delightful, <laughs> and it's body and it's profane, and it's just... I don't know, it's disgusting, delightfully disgusting in so many ways. If you like watching kind of fat, ugly people indulging in menage a trois in a humorous fashion, <laughs> Rita Sue and Pop 2 is absolutely made for you. And I was just screaming with laughter like a fucking maniac throughout that. And so, yeah, it was an unexpected beam of light in what was otherwise a very dark episode. But I love exploring those kinds of topics of markets. I feel like what anytime you're talking about a European filmmaker who goes to the dark side, there's no better dance partner than Marcus for those topics. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he's one of my favorite guest hosts that you have on Wrong Rail. He's great. And I remember when you first had him, and then all of a sudden I felt like he was on like every week, and I'm like, I want him on all the time. Well, before he had his show. Before he had his show. I I brought him on. I met him, I guess I first recorded with him, I think like January, February of 2016, and we tackled Guy Madden. And we're like, wow, we've got a lot of like weird, obscure filmmakers in common that we both like. And so prior to him launching Zebras in America, he was a very easy guest to get because he just loved to come on podcasts. But now he's obviously got, between his website, 
website, Pendle and Empire and uh, Zebras in America. He's got a, a, a platform, but I'm going to be getting him and Rob Cotto back soon to talk about uh, okay. the career of Harvey Keitel. Oh, that's will, amazing. Which will take us into some very dark places again. So that'll, that'll be yeah, a lot I've of fun. Yeah, I've actually picked up some of his like, some of his sayings like other day I felt because one of the things he says is I'm not mad at it like I'll be okay like if something there's something happens he's like well I won't be mad at that and I've used that a bunch of times recently and I'm like I got that from Marcus Pitt and I've never even met Marcus Pitt he and I have exchanged uh you know uh comp- direct messages on Twitter and we talk online but I've never even met him and I'm like did I, he I make us some contribution to your recent presentation you made to the students as well about yes Bergman? Yeah, so I uh, taught a six-hour uh, lecture on Ingmar Bergman in January at UC Riverside. And, um, one of the things they had asked me to was they were going to the Palm Strings Film Festival the weekend before, and they're like, "Hey, um, if there's if you if at all possible, is there anything is there any way you could tie in any of the films that that we're going to see at the festival with maybe Bergman?" And so I looked at the schedule and I saw that. Oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the name of it? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But I forgot about that film, and uh, Mar- I knew Marcus Pinn had done a side by side online, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So I reached out to him and I said, "Hey, any chance you, I could get your side by sides?" Um, for this presentation because I'd love to show because he did a side-by-side with Persona and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So he's like, sure. And he's like, I have a million of them. And he said he was even going to do a piece that he hadn't published yet. So he set me, and then they didn't work at first. So he sent me like multiple files and he worked with me on doing it. And we integrated it into the presentation, but it was really great and it made the presentation very relevant because they just saw the movie to show that, you know, just how influential Bergman was and that there were scenes that were really mirrored each other in, in Portrait of Lady on Fire and uh, Persona. So it was really cool. And I love that. That's what I love about having this community of wrong, real contributors is like, they're all experts in their own thing. And I can reach out to them and say, hey, could you help me with this? Could you get me or advice? Or without going into too many details, I know that you and Tony might even have a little collaboration coming yeah. up. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, like using their art and stuff. And then I've even, you know, honestly, I've been, you know, I I work at Sony Pictures and I'm in a lot of uh, uh, boardroom meetings and some and there's been a time before where there was some debate over uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was like upset about like a certain person that I work with. Oh, some dumbass who thought that Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't part of Marvel. And you're like, yeah. Yes, it is. Like even yeah. like uh, someone who's like drooling onto a bib with the most superficial understanding of Marvel knows that Guardians of the Galaxy is part of Marvel. But never underestimate just how little people within yes. the industry actually know about their own their own product. I know, and that's the that's the thing I say is surprising a lot is when you work in the movie industry and you realize that a lot of people around you. Some of them don't really have a basis for film history or, or outright contempt for movies, period. Like whether yeah. they're selling blue jeans, toothpaste, movies, they're, they're just they're selling and they, yeah. they, they, don't, they don't really care. But what happened, I remember I came across this and I'm like, this is wrong. And so I, I came to you and I came to a few other comic buffs from Wrong Rail community. And I said, can you help me make a case here so that I could blow this out of the water? The, the case is easy. Watch the movie and it'll be <laughs> self-evident. <laughs> But it worked. It was great. And I had all these references at the tip of my fingers. And I love it as I can, you know, I can email you guys and be like, wait, is what, you know, is this correct? Or what do you think about this? Or, or even if we're like looking to pitch a film and stuff, it's, uh, I want to get you, you guys is, uh, uh, yeah, just your advice and your thoughts. And, and I love, again, how everybody's sort of an expert in their own field. So, um, it's just an amazing community to be a part of. 
Excellent. Well, what, what, what do you got next on the, uh, on the agenda for us? Okay, so this is actually a trilogy of films that was covered. So it's three films. Uh, it's the Three Colors trilogy. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, it's episode uh, 143, Christ, uh, Christoph Kislowski's Three Colors trilogy, and it was Aaron West and uh, Ewan McHale were on the episodes uh, celebrating all three films. So these are films that came out when I was in high school. And uh, they, I, I, I've known about them my whole life. They've just been there, and I've just well, blockbuster and, for like two years. There always had those video yeah. covers in the windows, like everywhere. And I was like, that's kind exactly. of unusual for blockbuster. But that's how I first discovered them as well. Yeah. So uh, I graduated from high school in 1995. Blue came out in '93. White came out in '94, and so did Red. So they were all in high school, and I wasn't exactly watching, you know, Polish films set in France during a. <laughs> <laughs> well, one is set in Poland during high school, but I, you couldn't get away from them. You knew about them. I knew about them all through college. I know about my whole life. I just never took the deep dive into watching them, um, but they've been on my list forever. And your episode was absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, I finally got a reason to, I got asked to, uh, to guest host on the complete podcast in January to talk about the double life of Veronique. And I was like, Oh God, this is my excuse to see the three colors trilogy because I hadn't seen any of his films. And because I've been dying to, because of wrong, it was on my list forever because of your episode. And I'm like, also knocks it off my list because if I love them, I could talk about it in this wrong real 500 episode. Also, if you're talking about Koslowski, like if you haven't seen Decalogue, perhaps people will give you a pass, but if you haven't yeah. seen the tr three colors trilogy, then I'm like, all right, I'm skipping yeah. ahead to another podcast. <laughs> Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason why they wanted me to come on for Double Life of Veronique was because they wanted to do the parallels with Persona. Gotcha. That was why. So that's why they reached out to me. And I was like said to them, too, they're like, wait, why is this girl on? Because she's never seen. But they they thought it was great. And it, it, it was it was just extraordinary to plow through those films. And uh, when I went through all three of them, you know, I the first one I saw blue, I remember thinking like I loved blue, but I just like couldn't connect is to it is um, the way that a lot of people could because I really wanted to see the face of the little girl that she loses her little girl and her husband's beginning happens in the first minute in the movie so it's not a spoiler and I remember being like I so wanted Kislowski to give me like they just show the back of her and they never showed like her face or like a flashback or anything and I I needed it I needed to be wrecked by this movie um, and I and I and uh, I was talking to my friend um, Alec about it um, and he was like well that's just not what Kislowski's gonna do he's not gonna manipulate you and give you that but I like needed it um but the film that I but I loved it still but the film that I just absolutely was floored by was red that was my favorite of the trilogy um and that felt very more uh what I one of the things I love about Bergman is the dialogue and there was long scenes where there is um interchange of dialogue between the main character and 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 another character and just really introspective and it was just a beautiful beginning and end and his photography was great and that was the film that was the my favorite of the three but I love how when you talk to people they always have a different one like someone says I think Mikhail's was white absolutely and blue maybe the only thing I remember with that episode I remember at one point making a, a, a as is my usual uh, kind of modus operandi I'm making an inappropriate comment about how there's a scene in white where I had to pause the movie and go have a moment oh, of gratification in the bathroom <laughs> and then resume the movie but uh, if you like erotic scenes in cinema white's got some erotic stuff so <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yes, this is what I don't uh, don't miss about Wrong Real. <laughs> I'm just yeah, kidding. But... <laughs> I, 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 I know, like, Becky, we got like a file somewhere of like every inappropriate thing I've ever said on the podcast, but I'm gonna keep it <laughs> mostly clean uh, for, uh, for 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 your sake. Uh, this episode. How's your mom? Fine. How's yours? Still pulling pints. 
She's dead. She's still a good fuck, though. <laughs> I mean, the rates are a bit extortionate, but I do get a discount, what with being the sun and everything. Apparently right. You shouldn't stick anything up your cunt that you can't put in your mouth. Give us that mug. <laughs> <laughs> Can I try a coat on, Johnny? Yeah. So what you been up to? You seen anybody? Have you seen anybody? Have you spoken to anybody from Manchester? Yeah, I phoned June a couple of times. And was June interested in what you had to say? Fucking hell. I've seen my life in an open grave. Come on! What? What? I mean, you don't seem very pleased to see me. I am pleased to see you! You're too good for us. Now you've got yourself a posh job in the big shitty. I mean, me and her are on the fucking dole, aren't we? Right. And you're a career girl. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm delighted. Do you want some arrest, Johnny? <laughs> Fucking hell, love. What are you trying to do to me? Right, well, I'm going up to my room. Do you want to see it, Johnny? Is it worth to bother? Is there anything worth seeing? Why don't you come and find out? It's not very far. Sorry about this. Yeah. All right, let's dive into my number three is Wrong Real, episode 442, where we had my co-founder, Mikhail Karadimov. We also had Carlo Pangalangan, Labrador, and we had the great Bill Scurry, and we talked about Mike Lee's Naked. And Bill Scurry's been on a bunch of great episodes from Dune to, but I'd obviously already seen it. I saw the bounty was a strong contender because I'd never seen the bounty prior to the episode we did about all those different three different film versions. But Naked for me is like the 90s, I think in 10, 20 years is going to be looked back upon almost like the 70s where you had so many ferociously kind of dangerous, provocative movies from American independent movement or just foreign films that really stretched the boundaries of what was allowed in cinema. Naked is definitely one of those movies that takes you completely into deep, dark places that you might not want to go to, but the characters are so charismatic and compelling, you can't help but be sucked into that journey. But when you're talking about 90s provocative cinema, man, Naked has got to be always in that conversation. And it had been on my to-do list for like 20 years. And when I saw it for that episode, I was like, fuck, yes, this movie rules. <laughs> I, was, I was so excited. And it was just great getting those three guys together to talk about the career of Mike Lee. Because Mike Lee had been totally neglected by the podcast up to the point. Because like the first movie by him I saw was Secrets and Lies, which was fine. But it's not my kind of movie in terms of a movie that's going to really give me that, that jolt that I, that I want from cinema. Naked gives me the jolt all the way. So, uh, yeah, Wrong Reel 442 definitely made the cut. Yeah, that movie's still on my list to see. I, I always love listening to you, Jamie, though, because like you said, you you see, I feel like since I've met you when, I mean, we, we met, I, I think we met each other when we were like 21 years old. <laughs> yes, like June of 1998. So I turned yeah. 22 the month after. 
Yeah. So I, I, it's just you, I remember when I met you, you knew more about movies than anyone I'd ever met. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy, like you knew, I could name any filmmaker and you knew. And then it's just like, you were really exploding into just like wanting to see everything and everything at that point. And then it's just, it's just crescendoed over the last like 20 years or more. But what's it's fascinating about it is it's always cool as a listener, listen, the wrong reel. When you say things like the right, we're like, oh, I haven't seen this. Or this film just blew me away. Or I never thought about this. And also makes you feel better as somebody who, you want to see everything and, and have like this great film knowledge, but they're like, everybody has blind spots. So it's nice to hear that somebody like you has them as well. And then also just see you get like knocked out, like just like blew your doors off some movie that you saw. It's really hard to hang on to your capacity to fall in love with movies the same way you did yeah. as like a teen or early 20 something as you get older, just because you get more jaded, more cynical. And people always fall into the trap of like, oh, well, movies used to be better. Music used to be better. TV used to be better. And it's all complete, total nonsense. The only difference is you were younger. And so when you're younger, you're just more open to new experiences and that sort of thing. And also once you have professional concerns, family concerns, whatever, you just have less time and energy or enthusiasm for other things. So I think it's as natural as the turn of the earth to have fewer and fewer of those revelatory experiences. But the key is just take a nap, have a cup of coffee, sit down, fucking pay attention, and just remain open. And if you can't remain open to new movies, then perhaps doing a podcast about movies is not what you should be doing. <laughs> Maybe you should talk about something else. Like for some people, like they never lose their enthusiasm for certain sports. Like until their until their dying day, they still will like, you know, break windows and smash furniture when their team is losing. And that's obviously something they remain passionate about. And I always try to make sure that I'm like, I don't know, like whether it's like MMA or video games or whatever, like there I have various things that I still regard as like my, my, my kind of guilty pleasure entertainment. But I really live for those moments where I discover a movie for the first time that really gets its hooks into me, where I stop looking at it as like a, just yet another chapter in a history book and more just as a great artistic, visceral experience. Because for me, I, I say it all the time, like I want movies to be like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. These really, first and foremost, intense, visceral experiences. I, I just, I'm not interested in complacency. I just feel like that's very, that's very boring. And I, I, I want movies that really sink, sink their hooks into my eyeballs. And yeah, naked, fuck yeah. I don't care who you are, how old you are, what age you are, or what your interest in movies is. Naked's going to fucking get you. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I love what your um, motive, your your idea for the show is, is always to get people on that are total fanatics in a certain area. So because there are some shows out there that are very academic and it's just as like, and now we're going to talk about, like you talk about that. we always talk about the filmmaking behind it. And then, you know, we'll at uh, technical aspects below the line and all that and history and everything, but it's done by people who like really love these movies and really love the filmmakers and can offer insight into it. So it's much more engaging to listen to than, and now we're going to go through this. Like it's like an NPR show or something. Or even worse, just there are a lot of snarky shows out there where they just like doing a podcast, but they don't really like movies all that much. And like, oh my God, what's Parasite? Why did that win Best Picture? And you're just like, <laughs> oh my God. But, but the beautiful thing about the internet is there's lots of options out there. So if somebody's yeah. annoying the shit out of you, there will be other YouTube channels and other podcasts that might be uh, kind of like better at scratching whatever itch you, have, you might have. Yeah. Well, where do we stand? What's number two? Number two is a movie that completely blew me away. Uh, it is a matter of life and death. Oh, nice. Very cool. Powell and Pressburger, Powell baby. Pressburger. It was episode 292 um, and Aaron West from Criterion Now and Dave Eaves was on the show with you and you guys all celebrated Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. And it was it was just an extraordinary show. You covered Black Narcissists and um, uh, what was the other one? Like the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp? Yes. 
um, and the red probably, shoes. Yeah, probably red shoes. I know where I'm going. I'm sure they're all in the mix. Yeah. But it, it, Matter of Life and Death recently came out on Blu-ray, I think like a few years ago. And it's it's one of those films. It's not even streaming on the on uh, there's really it's, it's not streaming anywhere. It's very difficult to get your hands on unless you buy the Blu-ray. But it's just if you have the chance to buy it, you should or rent it. From or see it in 35 millimeter like I did at the Egyptian in L.A. Oh, amazing. It it's just wildly romantic story. It's it's just magic, and uh, it uh, it was funny because one of my favorite films of all time is Defending Your Life, and I thought that Defending Your Life had some parallels with it. Obviously, Defending Your Life came out in 1991, um, so uh, this one movie came out in 1946. But I never really knew about the the sort of the parallels with it. But that that four minute sequence at the beginning. Um, where uh, David Niven is falling in love um, with this American, uh, she, what is she? Like a radio She's operator. A, but yeah, yes, but, a radio operator. Yeah, his plane's going down, he's going to die, and they've got a couple minutes to talk. And yeah, it's like they go through the entire like love affair, boom, boom, then and there before he meets his demise. Yeah, and it's just it's just an extraordinary conversation, and um, I I love all the stuff. He's he's so upbeat, and he knows he's dying, but he's just like, okay, this is what's happening, and I love how he says that he'll be a ghost. He's I'll be a ghost and come see you. You're not frightened of ghosts, are you? It's just so cute, and he's talking about like, oh, uh, I hope I get, I'll have my wings soon, big white ones. I hope they haven't gone all modern. It's just like David Niven might be one of the most adorable kind of dapper gentlemen in the history of movies, and he he I doubt he's ever had bo in his life. always just seems very clean <laughs> and very tidy and he, everything he says is very crisp and very clear but he's just got charisma for days but when it comes to just the art of storytelling and just as a love song to cinema matter of life and death aka stairway to heaven the way it plays with black and white and technicolor going yeah. back and forth it's a true love song just to the art of storytelling and yeah if, if people want to say that's Powell and pressburger's best movie Fine, like I might prefer Colonel Blimp, but goddamn, when it comes to just being innovative, you can't top Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, it's just it's just like I felt like my heart was going to explode from the very beginning. And you just love this romance. And that line where he says uh, he just met June, uh, the character Peter, and he says, I love you, June, your your life, but I'm leaving you. And it's just like he just met her on. It's so romantic. And the whole thing about the the fact that the the angels sort of missed him and he got a second chance and he has to do a, a trial, sort of like defending your life in a way, too. Um it's just everything about it is inventive and genius, and it's just so it's very romantic playful and as well. Like movies need to yeah. be rediscover playfulness, and how in the end, it's like Hollywood has always been a dream factory. But if you're making dreams, you can basically make up whatever the fuck rules you want, whether that's a literal stairway to heaven or whatever the case might be. And that inventiveness sometimes I think gets lost for people. Filmmakers just start taking themselves a tad too seriously or looking right into their navel and they don't quite know how to pull themselves out of it. And it's like, that's a movie that's as refreshing as like a glass of champagne. You're just like, yes, that is what movies yeah. are all about. And there, I love how too, it's very like, you, you can have, you go in not knowing if the visions are real too. It's up to interpretation. Like, is this, is this actually a brain tumor in his head? And is this not actually not really happening or did he really, um, you know, is this really, is he really fighting for his life? Is this, is this angel really trying to get him back? And is he really going to have to defend his life? And the whole black and white, and I like how they call it the other world. They don't call it heaven. Um, kind of like a defending your life. It's judgment day. They never really refer to it that way either. And I, one of the things is so cheesy, but it's just, I loved it. I loved how, like when a lot of the soldiers come into the other world in the beginning, they immediately go to have a Coke. (laughs) 
<laughs> soda. And I'm like, that's like my idea of heaven. Like, there's Pepsi. Let's get it. Um, it's so cheesy because I'm a sort of soda freak. But it's it, everything in that long escalator to the top with all those um, those statues from prominent, historically prominent men. Um, it's just like from Lincoln to Michelangelo to Plato. It, everything about it is just perfection. And I can't believe that I this movie was missing from my life before. And I loved it. You guys celebrated it. And everything you said about it, I'm like, this is a Becky film. I have to check it out. And now this is a film that I'm going to like, I feel like I, anyone that I know hasn't seen it, I'm going to grab them and say, you have to see it. It's just, it was a life-changing cinematic experience for me. And uh, I can't believe I waited this long in my life to see it. Yeah, Powell and Pressburger, it's funny, like Michael Powell at the end of his life had really fallen on hard times and was in a, a state of woeful neglect and was really struggling to pay his bills. And Scorsese, like starting with Scorsese and Thelma Schoonmaker and all these people that he worked with, they really helped kind of bang the drum on Powell and Pressburger's behalf and help people rediscover these movies like I Know Where I'm Going. But it's just incredible to me that filmmakers who, for me, are the best filmmakers ever to emerge from the UK could fall into a state of decline or neglect. And thankfully, obviously, due to the criterion, that'll never happen again because I feel like now we have like two generations of fans that discovered through VHS and DVD and Laserdisc and Blu-ray, et cetera. And yeah, look at those guys from like early 40s to early 50s, absolute top of their game. But of course, Michael Powell on his own did things like Age of Consent and obviously like Peeping Tom, but they really brought out the best in each other. It's one of the great filmmaking teams in movie history. And yeah, I mean, if you want to make a case for them as the best filmmaking team in movie history, I might not mm -hmm. agree, but I won't kick either. I'm not going to like argue <laughs> against that. But yeah, that's fine. That works for me. <laughs> どこから来たの私は愛のためあなたの悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね悪魔ね
All right, well, my number two brings the great Martin Kessler into the conversation where I've, I've done a lot of fun, weird topics. Like, he's my favorite person to do weird topics with, whether it's tackling like Jodorowsky, where I saw like Santa Sangre for the first time, or like Andrzej Zulowski, when I saw like On the Silver Globe for the first time. Like, he's, whenever I want to go to strange forbidden territory, whether it's like Romanian animation or whatever the case might be, Martin Kessler is always there, ready to get weird with me, and I love it. But Wrong Reel, episode 392, we tackled Belladonna of Sadness. I think one of the towering achievements and animation and in terms of what I want from stories, it checks off every single box, but it's a fairy tale and it's a horror story and it's erotic and it's terrifying, but it's a great revenge story and it's incredibly innovative with the animation, whether it's just the way that the camera would just pan across what seems like a 200 foot long piece of paper versus actual traditional hand-drawn animation. It's... There's no other animated film even remotely like it, and I've seen a hell of a lot of animated movies. But Belladon of Sadness is one of those movies, one of the few times where before I'd even seen it, I saw the trailer, and I sent the trailer to Martin. I was like, dude, this looks fucking killer. Let's do an episode. He's like, sure, why not? I'll do it. And so we, we agreed to do an episode sight unseen, and it 100% delivered in every way, shape, or form. And it's one of my favorite animated movies, period. So that's why it is uh, my number two on this little list. Oh, my gosh. I love Martin Kessler so much. <laughs> he's, he's one of those people who, who reach out to me to be on his show uh, several times to talk about it. We talk about election, and we talk about broadcast news. We t- celebrate Amelie. He's one of the most amazing contributors that you've had on that show and uh, on your show. And one of, like, I feel like my closest friends, and he's somebody I've never met either um, I, i've been he, able to i've been able to hug that burly guy uh, face to face he came to my part my old apartment when we did the uh, the dune episode and he was staying with uh marcus during oh, cool. the new york film festival so i have had a chance to meet him face to face and he's exactly as you as you would hope him to be but i guess my first episode was him was i think late 2015 we did amadeus and i think that's oh, yeah, how that marcus great episode. first discovered us but we've tackled like hayao miyazaki and all kinds of crazy shit i'm trying to think, even like like blade franchise and R-rated superhero movies and all, 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 a, 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 wide, a wide range of topics. And you've or, let him celebrate Hard to Be a God. Of course, they had that. And like post, the first time I had him and Marcus together was for like Uncle Boon Me, Dreams of Dreaming. I always fuck up the title. And of course, Post Tenebrous Lux. But they were always talking about Twitter. I was like, well, shit, I got to get these two guys together. But I think the most intense bromance that has resulted as res, uh, Wrong Real being around is like, seeing that the friendship between those two guys emerge over time and it's a very special relationship those two guys have oh it's amazing well there's no delaying any longer what is your favorite <laughs> movie that you've discovered because of wrong reel uh my favorite movie is uh is this is a cheat it wasn't covered uh as it wasn't covered on an episode of wrong reel but it was mentioned on wrong reel and it made me want to see it um and actually it was an episode that i was a part of it was bergman uh, 57 it was episode 370 where uh we celebrated seventh seal and wild strawberries and because we were talking about wild strawberries we were talking about victor shestrom and uh Dave talked about Phantom Carriage, which I had known, that's my film, is The Phantom Carriage, um, which I had, it's a 1921 Swedish uh, silent film, and it is, I knew that it was Bergman's favorite film, He uh, he's seen it every single year, it was something that he celebrated and watched every year of his life, 
And I had, I've always wanted to see it. He also saw the Charlie Chaplin's The Circus. That was another film that he saw every year with, um, along with Phantom Carriage. A Phantom Carriage meant a lot to him. And he also uh, cast Victor Shestrom in uh, To Joy and also in Wild Strawberries. And, and and Victor Shestrom was a big part of his life. But this film, I think when Davies talked about the premise of it, which is about a legend that the last person to die each year, which is on New Year's Eve, has to drive death's carriage and collect the souls of everybody who dies the following year. I think when he talked about how moving that film was, I was like, God, I, how have I not seen this film yet? And so I just blindly bought the Blu-ray, um, the Criterion. It's a very and, safe buy. Uh, yeah. And what about The Wind? Just... Have you seen Sjöldström's The Wind? No, I know Gish? you that too that's another on my list this movie emotionally wrecked me i was a disaster i I saw this movie i think on a lunch break i had back like last year in april and i even tweeted about it and um i literally had an ugly cry in my office i was bawling at the end of this film it's just such. i need to have an ugly cry on my youtube channel so i haven't like I don't know when the last time I had an ugly cry was probably like when I was getting beat up by my older brother when I was a little kid or something like that. But I feel like that would help me uh, go from 20,000 to 100,000 like that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, I haven't had it. I mean, it's rare when you have an ugly cry in a film. I think Manchester by the Sea, that that happened to me. That was kind of a disaster during that movie. But this movie was a recent, probably my most recent one. It, it's completely wrecked me. Uh, it's just everything about it is amazing. And the special effects are really jaw-dropping today. I can't believe it was made in 1921. It's kind of like Terminator 2 in 1991. It's like those effects still hold up. It's, it floors yeah, it's a you. nearly a hundred-year-old movie, and it's still fascinating. Yeah, And, 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 and on, an, on any given day on Twitter, you'll see somebody still talking about it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, it was funny too. When I tweeted about it, I was like, I was like the Swedish silent film and all people were like falling all over this tweet. And I thought, Oh my God, I love that. I have this community now of film freaks that follow me who are just like freaking out over the Swedish silent film. And it was cool just cause you know, it's just, you're proud of like who, who follows you on Twitter when you get such a great response like that. But, and also, uh, there's a, there's a scene where in the movie where, uh, Victor Shestrom is playing this character named David Holm. He like knocks down the door with an axe. So a lot of people thought that was really influential. With um, yeah, they always do that side by side with The Shining. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah, cool. That and like Broken Blossoms by D.W. Griffith, and yeah, there there are a couple of different movies that are always part of those side by sides. But it's funny you mentioned having an ugly cry or crying yourself ugly. The last movie that I can remember crying in while seeing it was a press screening when Rialto Pictures was re-releasing Forbidden Games from 1952, and I did a written review of it. But as I was watching it, I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And I was like, and it really got to me so much. So I don't know if I'll ever watch it again (laughs) because Uh it's one of those movies where it's like it's too powerful. Like even if I watch the trailer and I start hearing the music, I'm like, ah, but it's it's so heartwarming. So, so extraordinary. But I I always I never quite know how to say the director's name, Rene Clement, Clement. Uh, I pronounce every French name phonetically, which I know is. Incorrect. In any event, Forbidden Games from 1952. If you need or want to have a good cry and you like innocent child performances amidst horrible human tragedy and atrocities, Forbidden Games will absolutely wreck you to the core of your soul. So that I, I did not discover that because of uh, a podcast, but I did write a review of it when I saw that press screening, and it was it was at the film forum. It was fucking I killer. I talked about it in one of your episodes, though, about having that experience. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was absolutely humiliated. But my number one <laughs> comes from Wrong Reel 264. Now, 
we've we've met a lot of interesting folks throughout the the course of the episode. But because of my Conan the Barbarian episode with Bill Tech, we discovered this individual who operates out of Berlin, the great Tony Stella, who is one of the most intense, rabid film fanatics film film fanatics any of us have ever had the privilege of talking to. <laughs> and he's come on to talk about movie posters and Kurosawa and Kobayashi and all, all sorts of interesting filmmakers. But my favorite episode, probably that we did, was when we talked about our favorite spaghetti westerns not directed by Sergio Leone. My name is Nobody, which was kind of sort of directed by Sergio Leone over the shoulder of a different director who may or may not have resented that. That's um, yeah, Tonino Val- Valeri, if I'm saying that correctly. But if you like Westerns and you like spaghetti Westerns, you might not have seen My Name is Nobody, but it's, yeah, it's Henry Fonda at its best, Terrence Hill at its best. But it's got... Like more, The older I get, the more I appreciate this. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had this, where you have certain sequences that you can't stop watching you just keep watching those those scenes over and over and over again and my name is nobody has like seven of those scenes where i can just watch them on a loop and just never go tired of them but it's maybe it's the last great spaghetti western but from uh 1974 but sergio corbucci obviously has been people have been singing his praises for quite a while and obviously sergio leone is one of the all-time great filmmakers he's on my mount rushmore directors more often than not depending upon my mood but my my name is nobody my dad had mentioned it to me back in college, and I was always like, my name is Nobody. Dad's got to be wrong. No one ever talks about my name is Nobody. And then I, <laughs> I watched it because of Tony Stella. I was like, holy fucking shitballs. And so I texted my dad. I said, Dad, I finally saw my name is Nobody. He was like, what's that? I was like, you fucking idiot. Like, you're the one who told me about it. He was like, oh, well, you have to, like, remind me. But <laughs> he hadn't thought about it in decades. So I sent him, like, uh, the opening credit sequence, which has all this great Ennio Morricone music. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember it now. But for him, it was just kind of this forgettable experience he just kind of casually threw out there, whereas I'd had this awe-inspiring, transportive experience. But it's uh, I have a poster of it on my wall now. It's one, one of my all-time favorite Westerns. Oh, it's amazing. Your podcast has recovered 
I mean, I think at least 15 or more episodes you've done on Westerns. I feel like this genre and you still haven't, I mean, I feel like there's so much left to cover. Oh, I'd say the great majority of my favorite Westerns still need to be covered. So yeah. we've, we've tackled Westerns quite a bit, but Westerns, for whatever reason, I have a, because there's so few of them made these days. It's a niche audience and I recognize that. And a lot of that niche audience is elderly and they're pushing on. And somebody's got to keep these goddamn Westerns alive. And so when I, I don't see a lot of, I mean, I, I, like Film 89, like I saw them tackle Rio Bravo. And I know like Brian Saar over with like Pierce Cinema Podcast, they tackle Westerns. Obviously, they talked about a shitload of Westerns with Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. last summer. But it is one of those in parts of cinema that has fallen on hard times. And the only way people are going to remain fans of Westerns is if people constantly shine a spotlight on the best ones and hopefully, potentially, introduce new generations to these kick-ass flicks yeah and you've you've picked a lot of co-hosts that have known a lot like david lambert who loves so much about westerns he is a western buff i guess and now like it's like i have so much fun doing western episodes with david lambert that it's almost hard for another person to get in on that action like i'm always open <laughs> yeah. to pitches i'm like hey i want to talk about westerns but you got david lambert and i have like six or seven topics that are we've got queued up that we want to get to and we've got a big one coming up in uh, a couple weeks time where we're going to tackle one of my all-time favorite movies the well, he's like a historian or something i feel like he knows like he's like i feel like he's written books about him i mean it, when i listen to the episodes i'm like oh my god i just got like this extraordinary history lesson on these on these uh histo- these figures these uh, western figures well i always that tell them that basically- when we start recording like the beginning of every episode is always my favorite part because i just get to sit back and just hear the david lambert rant on, on these <laughs> figures i'm like all right tell me about wild bill or tell me about wyatt Earp, or tell me about billy the kid and he just starts talking and talking and talking and talking and then we get into the movies but now, since you're on the topic of david lambert like for me like there's a bunch of different kinds of episodes that I like but I like doing like a variety of different kinds of episodes like I love tackling filmography episodes like when we get like uh, Jacob Rivera and like Matthias Vanders together or I love looking back on like years with like Jeremy Workman and Chico Leo or I love just watching Tony Stella go insane on any topic that's a particular interest to him. He's coming back for ninjas. We're just trying to narrow down which ninja movies we're going to be discussing. And I enjoyed the best of like year episodes with Marcus and Rob. And I like the unconventional ones like Kinnis Masmacho with Bill Tech or the too long, too short or just right with, uh, with, um, oh, God damn. What's his name? Mikhail. Yeah. My co-founder. <laughs> Carlo. And it's just, I, I'm always trying to find new types of formats to experiment with just so it doesn't feel like the same experience each time out. And so hopefully mm-hmm. we're doing that today with this episode where we're breaking with the traditional format. But maybe now's a good time as any to try and sing the praises of some of the many, 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 many people come on here. Like I, I look, Before we started recording, I looked at the website. I was like, shit, I got to give a shout out to some people. But I was like, I can't do everybody in 500 episodes. But just yeah. in like the last 100, I mean, Adam Rakoff, I have produce animation with them and Steven Simpson who's been on a ton recently and Eric Bartlam, John Cribbs, Leanne Kubich, uh, Brian Saar, John Lombager, Rob Cotto, Victor Rodriguez, Paul Murphy, Jeremy Workman, Chico Leo, Kevin Marr, Carlo Pangalanga Labrador, Bradley Cornish, Dan <laughs> Pullen, Sky Wingfield, Steve, Steve Amos, like basically all the Film 89 guys, Mackenzie Lambert, John Arminio, Amanda Kraftchik, S.A. Bradley, Dave Eve, Steven Saunders, Bill Tech, Skip Bolden, Ganesh Nair, Alana Levin, Fred Schaefer, J. Blake Fischera, Christopher Funderburg, Charlie Craven. Wow. And then there are a lot of people that we don't even see anymore, like Chuck R. Mystery, who's done a ton of episodes. But I, every once in a while, I'll reach out to him like, we miss you. Where are you? But he hasn't been online in years. Yeah, so, we miss him. But it's just this giant family of collaborators. And like that, like I said, that was just like the last 100 episodes. And so I feel like those are people that have been coming on in, in recent memory. But I'm always on the uh, the lookout. Hopefully when I hit episode 1000, that list will just be like a fucking 
page long, and uh, I just look forward to all the, the freaks and geeks that I'll be uh, encountering in the years to come. But maybe now's as good a time as any. You mentioned that you had some 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 favorites of Wrong Real that you wanted to give a shout-out to. I guess as the person who runs it, I probably have a very different perspective on the show in terms of what the best episodes are. So as someone who's listened to every episode, lay it on us. What are the good episodes of Wrong Real? Some, say someone's first episode ever of Wrong Real – where does somebody start? What are, what are the good ones to listen to? Uh, yeah, I have a list of five episodes that I just love and I would, would be ones I would recommend for people to see. My favorite episode ever of Wrong Real is episode 247, Geeking Out About Toby Hooper. Oh, that was a really cool one. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was like an all-star cast of uh, Kevin Marr, Marcus Pinn, John Cribbs, Chris Funderburg. And you, James Hancock. At, yeah, yeah, James Hancock. Um, I, you guys, I, I rented out like an office space for that. We didn't have like a room or enough mics. Uh, I rented out this like there's like this some company I was closing down for the day, but I found some like temporary office space, and so we we set up and we threw down, and yeah, that was uh, and that was the first time Kevin Marr had been on, and I'd been like pursuing him aggressively, like we gotta get Kevin Marr on the show because he's you know such a local legend, and so we finally got. Yeah. Him. I, it's just, it was, it's just such a pleasure to listen to. It's, it was world-class podcasting. Um, everybody is just extraordinary and they all had fun stories about, um, their first time watching Toby Hooper movies and what they meant to them. And Chris Funderburg just like tore it apart when he talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Although he like made up he cheated because he, that was his lecture he used to give in yeah. film school to the students. I was like, oh, well, sh- you're not, I, I thought he was just like, just riffing. I was like, that's extraordinary. I was like, I couldn't believe yeah. he made the most impassioned, eloquent, just rant about Texas Chainsaw Massacre that any human being has ever made. He's like, oh, well, I've been doing that material for years. I was like, ah, I got it. Gotcha. Well, you I remember, I think I, I had like a, I think it was on the way to WonderCon or something. I had like, the, and I was stuck in some sort of traffic jam. And I think it was like in stuck in traffic for hours. And it was just pleasure to listen to this episode. I was just loved it. And I, I got to listen to it on the way there, on the way back round trip. And I just, I just, I remember I freaked out and I tweeted about it and how I just, just, I could not, I, there were just not enough adjectives to spew about how much I love that episode. So it was, it's just world-class and, um, it still holds up and it's, uh, I, uh definitely an episode that I would recommend for people to listen to. Yeah, I need to um, arrange those more frequently because they are, they're, I mean, they're giant pain in the ass to coordinate in terms of finding a time and place where everybody can be on board and do it. And so it's why I always kind of get lazy and I just go like one, maybe two guests, but every once in a while I should just say, fuck it. We're just going to go, we're, we're going to go deep and see what we can do. But yeah, the last, that might be the last time I've had five people on an episode. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt. To, well, also when you start mixing all the audio tracks together and you're just like, ah, and you're like, you're muting certain ones and there's echoes and anyway, it, just, it becomes much more labor intensive, but obviously the final yeah. product makes an impact. So I should do it more frequently. And just a shout out, to Kevin Marr. I just adore him. And he, like, I can't even, I still can't believe that he reached out to me um, after he listened to our Albert Brooks episode. And um, which was like, he had, he listened to it like a year later or something. And I got a direct message from him. And he's like, this episode was so great. And I was like, how is this even, how, how's this my life right now that Kevin Marr, who I really admire, was like, so like moved by the Albert Brooks episode. And I then recently, the fact that, I recently booked him to come back in a couple weeks time for a oh, surprise yeah. episode. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause he's not doing as many pot, but I, and then, then even more exciting was when he said that, uh, we talked about doing like a whole celebration of Albert Brooks work and doing an episode based on that. And he was going to do that with me. Um, and you, and I just was 
over the moon about that. It's one of my favorite episodes I've ever been on. And, and also John Cribbs is somebody who, um, I feel very close to, and I talk to him a lot and I just think he's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, that episode is, is amazing. So the other episode, um, there's my second favorite episode is episode 158. Uh, it's Bill Tech and One Day Since Yesterday. Oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, I mean, so, not to get too personal, but that one came along at a really rough time where, I, my stepfather was in the process of dying. And so I was in a w- weird place emotionally as I recorded that. But obvi- and, uh, obviously the subject matter of that documentary is pretty bleak as well. But I think that was Bill Tech's very first episode. Yeah, and it was so poignant. And uh, i that's the ev- only episode I've ever listened to that made me cry. I cried during the episode listening to it. It was so moving. I think I cried twice during the episode. Bill Tech is so... He's just so wonderful and he's just such a great storyteller. And it, and when he it, when he talked about Peter Bogdanovich and the making of that movie, I just it was just incredibly moving. Um, so that's that was one of the like I said, one of the most moving experience I've ever had listening to Wrong Real that you that it made me cry. Yeah, that was the beginning of our of our of our relationship. And so I guess we know you like three and a half years now. But yeah, then I got to be directed by him and the films that define New York. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, it'll be like a little three, four minute short with just scurrying out running around just random about movies he's like no like make it like an actual like short film and he gave me this 19 minute like saga with clips and that sort of thing i was like wow like thank you for having far more creative ambition than than i did <laughs> with this short and i've got him working now he's gonna do a new uh intro for my uh youtube channel and so he's uh we're, we're, we're cooking right now like some some different ideas but i feel like i've done that same intro now for a couple of years it's time to kind of inject some electricity into it and so bill and i are gonna do that and also obviously we want to do another short short about New York. And then at some point we'll get him back on the, uh, the podcast, but as long as he's willing to also do like, like robust video content from a channel, I almost kind of yeah. want to like use him for that as opposed to podcasts. Cause I want to exploit him to the best of my ability. And he's all, he's also somebody that I just totally bonded over. We had a, but a bonding over Star Trek online and like becoming really good friends too. So I just can't believe it. He's somebody in my life that I consider a friend. He's amazing. Um, so my third favorite episode is a very, very, very recent episode of your is episode 494. Uh, it's the Preston Sturges episode you oh, did with nice. John Excellent. I was, say, I was like, I was like, I can't even remember what it was. It was only- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let you figure it out. No, uh, this is another episode, just like the Toby Hooper episode, which I get, I think is just, uh, just a masterclass in podcasting. Um, I, I love Preston Sturges. He's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I love that you found someone like John who can just celebrate him and love him and, and really say how amazing of a filmmaker he is and how funny he is. And actually I have a Preston Sturges story that I've always wanted to tell you, which is crazy. Um, but I never really had an excuse. This is a good excuse is when I was at Fox, um, when I was an assistant, um, over at Fox, Brandon, who has been on one of your shows, um, uh, Wilson, he was telling me that one of his friends worked in production over at Fox and there was these comedy directors that were in a meeting and one of the executives had said to them, um, they're pretty well-known comic directors and they said, uh, well, you could do it like Preston Sturges or what do you think about that? And the film and these filmmakers were like, 
who's Preston Sturgis? Yeah. And um, he was, and, and Brandon came to me and he's like, I can't believe they didn't know who Preston Sturgis was. And he's like, it was just like shocking. But the whole time I'm 24 years old and I had no idea who Preston Sturgis was. And he was all up in arms about like these famous comedy directors, which I won't say their names. So you might be able to guess who they are. And I was like, that's crazy. I can't believe they didn't know who Preston Sturgis was. That's well, look insane. at you, two-faced, feign, feigning expertise. Every cinephile has been guilty of that at one time or another where you have like a bunch of people sitting around talking about a movie. And you're like, oh, yeah, Masterpiece. Oh, that movie's pure shit, blah, blah, well, blah. I but yeah. Because I was got stuck in a conversation where he was just like just shocked that these people. What also they they were known for comedy. Like how could they not know? But then I was like, I remember thinking that's crazy. And I ran back to my desk and I'm like, the f is Preston Sturges? And then I did this like search. And then I spent the next like two months, not really two months. I because it wasn't he doesn't have his filmography. It's not that big. But I spent you know, the next few weeks or whatever, just plowing through his movies. I remember I ended up anytime they were playing at the new Bev, I, I saw them. So, um, uh, I just, Palm Beach stories is my favorite of his films, but High anyway, five. I just, that was my favorite as well. Um, but I, so I've seen, uh, you know, his, the three big ones at, at the new Bev. I'm proud to have said that, that, but I just love that Brandon sort of introduced me to Preston Sturges, but also in a way where I was like, I was trapped in one of those conversations as a young person where I was like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Can we talk about the weather? Can we talk about politics? Can we talk about anything other than the fact that I don't know who the fuck Preston Sturges is? Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm glad I'm glad that I'm still able to uh, keep up with the classics of the past. Because one of the things, also now that it's been going so long, I'm like, is the podcast like getting better or worse? Or is it coasting? Are we like, are we being, being complacent ourselves, et cetera? And so I'm always trying to find ways to like, New frontiers, new topics, new guests, new formats, etc. And but also, it's like I have to fucking edit these goddamn things, and so I have to listen to them. And so, for just for my own sanity, I like to have interesting conversations, just because I have to go yeah. through these goddamn things. And so, but yeah, John Lawmajor, we had a, a ton of fun with Preston Surges. Uh, we don't have anything booked, but he lives like ten blocks from me now, so he can pop in for an episode any old time. But you need to come hang with us in New York so we can uh, all have oh a, my God. Take, take the trio I, out. John is literally one of my favorite people on the planet and he's another person I've never met in real life and I just like, he's another person I think I throw myself in front of like a train to save. He just, I just think he's like one of the, he's got one of the best podcasts ever out there. He's such an amazing host and I just adore him and uh, in the same, in the same adoration that I have for you. So I just think he's just amazing and and um, I can't believe that I don't, I would love, oh my God, I think I would die if I got to like have dinner with the two of you at the same time. Or even better, we record an episode together and then we go out to dinner. So I know neither <laughs> yeah, of y'all drink. So I'd be like, I'd spend the entire like, evening like trying to force feed y'all alcohol. But uh, <laughs> I have like 250,000 miles on like um, American Airlines that I'm like, why don't I just go to New York like four times? So I don't know why I haven't done that. Because um, you don't like so, the cold. You're a Southern California girl. <laughs> when it is not freezing cold um and it, uh yeah, my fourth favorite episode is uh 451 which was talking carl theodore driver with uh dryer with davids very nice uh that was a great one you like the um, scandinavian topics in a big way we have to figure out what is it about like like danish and swedish films that really hammer like hammer home to you so intensely I don't know. Did you think about, I was thinking about my top five that I picked for this episode and I picked uh, one American movie, The Innocence. I didn't do that on purpose. It's just, it's interesting. I think all my films were like a Swedish film, French film, 
uh, British film. I just went through the website and just went through the entire back catalog, one episode yeah. at a time, and wrote down every single one where I could remember seeing something for the first time. And that was like 20 movies that like really made a huge impact on me. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, well, it's time to cut some fingers off the baby. And I started just crossing off the ones that I liked a little bit less than the others. And so, yeah, yeah I had a bunch of honorable mentions, but I was able to boil it down to five. Yeah. But I, anyway, I didn't, I just realized that yesterday. I'm yeah, like, but oh I gosh. didn't try to think in terms of like guests and or regions, Me but neither. just by virtue of the fact that like certain folks like, like Marcus and Martin have been on so many times, it was inevitable that those guys were good. The, what, what their episodes were going to make the cut. Yeah. Um, and then anyway, my fifth favorite episode is a, is an old episode. It's episode 72. It's Lawrence of Arabia and 70 millimeter. Oh, that was a uh, fun one. Which you did with Paul Cobb and uh, Mikhail, I believe. And the three um, of you. Who, what the hell's his name? It's um, Parker's buddy that I'm totally blanking on uh, his name. What oh, Nick hell? Stevens. Nick Stevens. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. kind of a, an actor slash comedic dude. But yeah, we all went and saw in 70 millimeter at the Museum of the Moving Image. And that was, but also because Paul Cobb is a, a, like an Arab historian. So he actually yeah. knows that region. And so, but he was able to get, provide additional insight that I would not have been able to provide. But also, Mikhail was like, he was like mad at me about something. And so I could tell he was like pushing back on the movie as a way of like fucking with me. And so yeah. I, was glad, I was glad to have Paul there to kind of like have a back. <laughs> but it was just, it's actually, it was just, uh, I remember you guys at one point went off on the Kardashians in the first 20 minutes or something. It was, <laughs> I remember listening to the episode. Uh, um, uh, um, I was car used to carpool with my husband because he used to work at Sony. And I remember having my earphone. I wanted to listen to the episode. So I had my earphones on and he was driving and I was burst. I was like cracking up in the car and he's like, what are you listening to? Um, and it was because you guys, guys were just so funny in the beginning and it was a, it was a lot of pop culture news that was pretty funny um and then this isn't a, a favorite episode but i did want to call attention to it because it is a movie that i saw because of you uh and it is pasolini solo oh wow <laughs> and it was that's a matthias vanderus favorite he always brings up that uh, that commentary episode we did who does? Matthias Vanderis is always oh, directing people to because all we did we just watched it and we just did commentary oh, yeah. to the movie. It's one of it is one of the best episodes though because that is a movie that I did see because of you and it was so shocking. But um, that episode, if you get a chance to go in, anybody listening had never seen it before. It's um, you guys did a commentary, so you played the movie and you just reacted to it. And it's there's there's um and actually you even put it in the show notes from minute one. Uh, one hour and 13 minutes to 121, but it really goes to the 24 mark. It is so funny. Did he wipe himself off at least, or he's just no, walking he, around with smeared eyes? <coughs> yeah, he just, he just let her rip. <coughs> yeah, I just gagged. I just gagged. Now, so softly. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ugh. Ah, I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I spent a year in the Soviet Union before I immigrated <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I, you're, thought you're be, I thought I'd be cool, but my eyes are watering and my gag reflex is kicking in. And uh, I've seen this. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> I reject this movie. I cast you out. <laughs> This, uh, you're ever, that's you, Mikhail and Parker, your reactions to this movie. Like there is gagging happening. There is like gasping there. I, I literally re-listened to that first, te that 10 minutes again, the other day in my office, my door was closed. People thought something was happening in my office. I was laughing so hard. I couldn't breathe. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. This is such a funny episode. Yeah. I need to do it. I mean, I haven't done a commentary episode in like five years at this point, but the reason I stopped doing it is because they're fucking hard because yeah. you, you end up just watching the movie. 
movie, like it, you have to remember, like, oh, there, this is a show. We need to constantly be talking. But also, it's exhausting when you're watching something, constantly trying to think up witty banter and commentary. But with something like Salo, where all you have to do is just laugh or cry or vomit as you're watching it, it makes it very easy. So, <laughs> I think all the, of that happens. Yeah, but there are not that many movies like Salo out there that will push no. your buttons. I mean, you could do it with like are- Cannibal Holocaust or something like that. But there, there are not a lot of them. One of the reasons why I loved when you guys did commentaries and one of the reasons why I love the show is because I got to know a lot of the, I got to know you guys and I got to know the, you know, your guest hosts. I just love hanging out with everybody. So it, when you have a commentary track, it's just you guys hanging out and then talk and then in between certain times you're like, oh, hey, like you'll say personal things about yourself or or something you did the weekend before, even if it doesn't have to do with the movie. I just love being around. Oh, the you. last and, commentary track was actually during yeah. a UFC fight. I think it was UFC 200, yeah. I think. And it was Funderburg, Marcus, and Mikhail and I. And it was like film freaks talking about movies while watching UFC. But it was like a two-parter because it's like, you know, it's like a four-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view. Yeah. So that was actually the last commentary track. But that would have been maybe t- summer 2017. So it's been so it hasn't been since five years. It's been like two and a half years but once again like four and a half it's like a four and a half hour episode that broke into two parts but that, that it, they're exhausting to put <laughs> they are together. exhausting and it's not like you know we need them a lot but they one of the reasons why i love them is is one of the reasons like i said i love the show is being able to like hang out with you because your guests are just are just amazing people and incredible uh personalities and it's it's just great to even learn about their own personal history and and it, it's uh that's why i love listening because these shows aren't like uh homework they're fun to listen to they're engaging and it's hard to have that kind of uh chemistry with so many different people um and also i mean i think the the big linchpin is the you're the catalyst because you're the host i'm a very special person yeah you're very special from within shiny in all the right places (laughs) but i think it's also um the idea that you have of a really uh getting people on your show that are really passionate and are film fanatics and not just having someone who's just you know kind of borderline interested in something or it's it's nice to have the the experts in a certain topic talk about it. Also what I learned early on is like having filmmakers isn't necessarily the best thing. First and foremost, a lot of filmmakers don't want to discuss their work and promoting their work is a kind of a drag. What you really want to get is like people who do commentary. Like they're the people who are like, hey, I had my coffee and I'm ready to go. Blah, 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 blah. And they're, they're ready to like to rant and rave. But a lot of filmmakers are famously kind of closed off and they're doing it because their publicist has asked them to or so on and so forth. And so yeah, I realized early on, just find maniacs. And whether that maniac drives a truck or runs a studio, if they're a maniac on a topic, that's all that matters because they're going to speak about it with far more expertise than anybody else. So I really have no um, kind of barriers to entry. I mean, it helps if somebody's funny or charming or insightful or whatever, but they got to have something. But more than anything, like if my four-year-old niece loves a movie and it's like, oh, well, why'd you like it so much? She's going to find a way to make it kind of interesting, whether she likes it or not, just because that enthusiasm is just so natural and organic. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's always just the key is like that pure unbridled glee makes the podcast a lot of fun to create and a lot of fun to listen to. And I, I listen to the occasional episode or I listen to like certain transitions or bit that I, bits that I like, but yeah, I haven't listened to the old episodes in a long ass time. And I'm kind of terrified to go back because 
I would be kind of, I don't know, I had to resist the urge to change them or fuck with them. And so I just, I, I just let them live on the site. But for whatever reason, episode two has been lost. And I'm not entirely sure oh. how to find it. But Matthias pointed out, he's like, hey, he's like, episode two is not there anymore. I'm like, interesting. So I went on the website and sure enough, episode two is gone. I was like, what? Do you know what it was? I don't even remember what the. Oh, <laughs> I I mean, I may, I'd have to rack my brain or maybe Mikhail can remember because I remember the very first one was a field in England and it was only like 30 minutes long. And the second one, yeah, I really have no fucking clue. But if, for whatever reason, that's that's the only lost episode. So that'll be like a lost silent film that, uh, you know, maybe a few diehard fans can remember. But I, I really have no idea. Maybe if you remember, I used that old, that old website, Colbrex.com. And yeah. I was, initially I was posting the episodes there before the wrong real site was built. I bet the second episode is still there. If Colbrax.com even exists anymore, I might have like stopped paying like whatever fee I'm supposed to pay to let it even exist. And maybe Colbrax.com has been like, like does Blogspot even exist as a site anymore? Oh, I don't know. But it, it, it's, why wouldn't the first one be lost? Uh, I'm sorry? Why wouldn't the first episode be lost? Um, well, once again, this is a mystery of technology that I, I really, I really don't know. But yeah, right now I'm having a try, trying to go to www.colbrax.com and nothing's coming, coming up. So maybe, maybe the site has been lost to the internet ether, or maybe I stopped paying a fee, but yeah, Blogspot, I don't even know if, like once again, I'm just going to see if Blogspot even exists. But that was where I started blogging on Blogspot. Oh, now it's called Blogger or maybe... Anyway, oh. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it too much, but I started writing a little film essays and I guess you and I, we hadn't talked in a while and we reconnected when you saw my, uh, amazing Spider-Man two review that I'd posted on <laughs> com, and you're like, Oh my God, like you, you seem to like to know about, uh, some of the, uh, really fucked up shit that's going on, uh, behind the scenes uh, on that, on that movie. Cause I know there's a lot of debate about, uh, the Oh, you know, what, you know what it was? It was, I just looked it up. It was the episode 19 when you guys did the interview, which is our Sony movie. Oh, uh, gotcha. And, and you did you paired it because you used to pair a new movie with an old movie. Yeah, that was so our you paired original format. With The Last Temptation of Christ. And I got confused that it was the Ten Commandments. But you were saying some interesting things about Sony and Amy Pascal, which I'm like, how does he have this sort of insight? But you just used to, you know, obviously you worked at Sony when you were an intern and so did I. And so we knew a lot of the same people. Uh, but I just I remember something you said about The Last Temptation of Christ made me so I just I was like dying laughing while I was running, listening. But that was at first episode I ever listened to it was episode 19. All right, so all right, seven, six, five, four. Three. Yep, so I'm looking. I'm looking at Libsyn.com, and on Libsyn.com, even there, episode two is missing. So I must have just accidentally deleted it because between September 30th, 2014, and October 22nd, 2014, it goes from Ben Wheatley's A Field in England to the Birdman Review, and we also talked about all that jazz. I have no clue. So if anybody out there has actually been listening every step of the way and they remember what the fuck that was, yeah, let Jacob me know. I, I would be curious. But that is the uh, the the famous lost episode. Because then I started numbering them when we got to Force Majeure. Wrong Reel 6 was Force Majeure. And then Parker and Mikhail got in a fight over Nicholas Ruggs, Don't Look Now. I think that was the first <laughs> Wrong Reel battle. Because <laughs> back in the days, Parker and Mikhail. was a big battle and I, with Nightcrawler, we, too. Yeah, we, we, we would battle about various topics and that sort of thing. It was a very combustible situation where we were spending too much time together. And so now moving forward. Anything that you would like to see more of or any ideas about how to keep it fresh, keep it interesting? Because obviously the last thing I ever want is for the podcast to get stale, boring, stagnant. But it sounds like more commentary episodes and more episodes where we line up like a, a, an array of people. Like the Dune episode, which I think was Cribs, 
Kessler, oh, yeah. Marcus, and Scurry and me. So that was another five-person episode. But it sounds like you want to see more like all-star lineups and also just more hang sessions where we're just like on the couch watching a flick. Yeah, that would be amazing. I, you know, not a, you don't have to have a commentary all the time, but the commentaries were fun. Just like I said, to get to know you guys, just just it's sort of like a giving people a way to hang out with you. But the the big episodes where you have more than a few guests, it's just like an all star cast. That's just amazing, especially when it's a topic that uh, it's 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 it affects people in different ways, and they're all sort of experts. I love it. But I'm excited that you guys are. Aren't you recording a? Uh, Romer episode or or maybe uh, Davey's just coming back for Romer. Like stuff I have on the calendar right now. Davey's coming back. David Lambert's coming back. Kevin Mars coming back. Jeremy Workman's coming back. Who else is on the calendar? Oh, and I got I've already recorded with, with uh, Mikhail. Mikhail has his crowdfunding campaign coming up for a short film, so we already have that in the can as well. So this week I'm recording. Uh, four ninety eight, no four ninety seven with Amanda, four ninety eight with Victor, four ninety nine with Moose. It'll be Moose's first appearance, and then we'll go into uh into yours. Obviously, we're recording this in advance because Becky's schedule is pure chaos, and this was the one time yeah. we could get her, so we had to get this in I the can can ahead so of time. Yeah, I actually feel important right now. It's just crazy. Uh, you guys doing six moral tales? Is that what you're doing? That's what I'm Romer? doing, Davies. Absolutely. Oh my god. I- Cannot wait. Yeah. I'm a huge Romer fan too. So uh, again, like I, I, like I said, I guest host, but I'm like such a fan of the show. So I can't wait for some of these episodes. Right, well, I got a question for you. Someone who's uh, got a lot of industry experience and marketing savvy, etc. is something I always wrestle with and I never quite know the answer to. Moving forward, should I keep the YouTube channel and the podcast separate or should they merge? This is like the, the million dollar question that I never come up with a satisfactory answer to because my, my feelings right now are always that I should never merge them unless I'm going to start filming every single podcast, much like, like the Joe Rogan experience. They film it, it's in the studio, they also post the audio, but I don't want to post just audio episodes on YouTube because they've never done that well. Yeah. Just, and uh, when you use like audio clips and things like that, then YouTube immediately pulls them down, and I love doing the clips. And that's one of the part, one of the fun parts of the editing process is getting to include music and scenes from movies and that sort of thing. It just becomes much more challenging once you start doing that. But should they remain separate entities, or if they were to combine, like, yeah, just give me, lay it on me as someone who actually has listened to a lot of the shows. Oh, I definitely think they should be separate. I The YouTube sh- episodes are really fun, especially when they're live and you can go in and participate, and that's fun. What I wish uh, you did more of is if when you did those episodes that the audio went up as well, because you've done that a few times, and it was great because like I'll miss... I can't, sometimes I can't watch the, sit there in front of my computer for two hours and watch it. If, I mean, you could play if, YouTube on your phone as you're driving and you, guess, don't, you don't have to yeah, look at it. Yeah. It's true. It's true. You could do that. I, 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 could I, do I, I watch a ton. Of, I quote unquote watch tons of YouTube shows while driving around or, like, yeah, or on the subway. But I, I just have the video playing, but I'm not, I'm not looking at the video. I'm just listening. Yeah. To the and audio. I've done that before sometimes with your geek and reviews where you'll do cover a film and I'm like, I w- really want to know, but I'm like in a hurry. So I'll just play the, cause I, sometimes it's just your pictures of like the trailer and stuff. So I can listen to in my car. But I remember the He-Man episode you guys did. I was so bummed that it wasn't an audio file oh, as well. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And that is one that I probably, I probably just got lazy would. and just forgot to post it on the, on the wrong yeah, <laughs> real site. Yeah, that's I think 
Yeah. So I would love that if you, I like the YouTube ones are fun. Um, but I would love it if you did that, if you could also do a complimentary audio. Um, but I'd like them being separate because for me, I like listening to music and having clips and all that. And, and, and I'm just, uh, I'm in my car all the time. So the podcasts are great and the YouTubes are great too, but I I like how they're for different audiences. And then they, I I did a poll on the YouTube channel when I hit 20,000 subscribers asking what people wanted to see more of. And I gave options that film and television reviews or, or like trailer reactions and, and, or news um live streams with guests or film and video essays of like film history and that sort of thing and four percent said they wanted more live streams with guests i was like (gasps) (laughs) and like almost like 600 people replied but it was like it was like 60 yeah like like 64 percent of the people voted for just film and television reviews like 25 percent voted for film and video like essays all right that's kind of encouraging then like five percent wanted um more news and trailer reactions but i was actually caught off guard by like how low on the uh, totem pole uh, uh live streams came i was like all right well i'm still gonna do them from time to time but clearly it's not something that like people are like where's the next live stream when's it coming yeah. all right but one last question for you since you've got 20 years of marketing experience under your belt bill tech and i are going to do a new intro for the channel and i'm debating rebranding the channel from just geeking with james hancock to james hancock and simplifying it at age 43, I'm starting to feel like geeking with James Hancock sounds a little infantile. And I'm thinking about hacking it or either renaming it or just simplifying it as a marketing guru. Weigh in. Oh my God. I think I love geeking. I think geeking sounds, and I love, I love your name. I love your name associated with it. But I know sometimes you say that and you're like, oh, I feel like maybe this is too juvenile or too young, whatever. But I think everybody relates to geeking. <laughs> everybody knows what that's like. And I don't think, I mean, especially in my world and in this, in the studio world, I don't think anyone sees that as like, as, um, you know, not professional or whatever, but also I think you, I, I like giving somebody a taste of what a show is because if it's just your name, so people, I mean, it's great if you're, I mean, and you know, and you're well known, but if you're not super famous, if it was, even if it was like Sam Donaldson or like a reporter or something, it's like, well, what is this, what is the show about? So I like that it's a geek and all sorts of things. Well, and like also, I think Joe it's Rogan's way a great one, just the Joe Rogan experience, and that's great. And so it's like but he's got experience in there at least. Yeah, but, but it's because he's a Jimi Hendrix fan. Like he was always saying, "Are you experienced?" And so it's yeah. a Jimi Hendrix experience. So that's where he got it from. So uh, yeah, and I don't have, I don't have to commit to it yet, but it's just something yeah. I'm debating: either a name change or simplification, or keeping it the same. Those are my three options. But I'm just kind of taking people's pulses on that. Yeah, topic. well, my uh, maybe you could have people vote on off of uh, this do a poll. <laughs> yeah, Actually, that, a that's poll. the worst idea. Do a poll. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do a poll. It's easy. But uh, my vote, uh, my live vote, is to keep geeking. I like geeking with with your name. I think it's I think it's perfect, and it's really catchy, and it gives what you could be geeking about a bunch of different things. And I use that phrase all the time about it and I, I i celebrate the fact that i'm a big film nerd so Maybe i think everybody nerding out with james hancock yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or geeking out yeah nerding yeah. out i think has more negative commentary like oh my god yeah. they're totally nerding out about that topic it's like yeah but geeking yeah. out is like i guess maybe certain aspects of geek culture now that i no longer like relate to or quite like i feel like there's a lot about like like weaponized geekdom that i don't like where it's like people who will post videos about the easter eggs in a movie and trailer but they'll never say whether or not the movie was any good or if it was moving or if it was exciting it's like all they care about is the trivia and it's like well do i want to be associated with this this is like such garbage content all they care about is 
underlining the references, but they're not actually getting into like the like the kind of the nuts and bolts of what makes this content tick in the first place. And so yeah, mm-hmm. there are certain parts about geeking that I no longer quite like, but we'll, we'll see. Well, I've, have you ever seen that Venn diagram that they have with uh, nerd, geek, and dork, and how they intersect? Man, dorking <laughs> out with James Hancock that actually would be kind of funny. <laughs> Well, but I, I gravitate towards the best one, which is the geek, because like the nerd is is intelligent and socially awkward. Then you have geek who's intelligent and obsessive, and then you have dork who's obsessive and socially awkward. So you obviously <laughs> want the geek event diagram, which is intelligent and obsessive, because that's what we are. Gotcha. So that's the best one. But I. Because it just sounds so ridiculous and it's so like self-effacing, dorking out with James Hancock actually would make me laugh every time I mention it. <laughs> and there are a lot of like if you go on YouTube, there are 150 million channels that had the name Geek in the channel, which is another reason why I don't like it because there's just so yeah. many out there just like it. Yeah. But nobody's using dork, so maybe 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 you're, maybe you're accidentally onto something. You're gonna get the the dork one, which which what is that? It's socially awkward and uh, obsessive. I think is the one. That's the one. That's the only one that's not smart. Yeah, geek, dork, <laughs> or nerd. Diagram. You decide. <laughs> well, Becky, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been doing this little catch up because we've known each other for a hell of a long time at this point, like more than half our lives. We've known each other, yeah. and it's so much fun seeing where everybody's careers have gone over the course of just like the last five and a half years, where you see like. Tony becoming this online phenomenon or seeing Marcus have building his own following with his podcast or seeing film 89 becoming this really robust thriving area. We see people like Steven Saunders com- uh, contributing reviews, or then you see like Rob Cotto and scurry and tech going off and making a documentary together and just seeing how everybody's got all their various trajectories. And I just hope that, uh, you know, in the spirit of what I say at the end of every episode, that everybody will continue to proceed onwards and upwards in their own fashion for the next five years. And, yeah, we'll come back together in a, at another time to mark the occasion. And hopefully there'll be no weird suicides or people having oh, massive Jesus. falling outs or like, you know, that the community will continue to thrive and get along. And, but it seems like every single day when I check in on the wrong reel, right crew, little kind of private feed on Twitter is always just this diarrhea of conversation going by. People are always talking about something. And uh, yeah, over the last, we can't talk about it yet, but last night there was a, a lengthy conversation related to you. And it's just always so much fun seeing what is the latest topic that everybody's obsessing over. So hopefully yeah. we can uh, manage to make it cooler and more interesting and more supportive and just more fun for everybody involved in the years to come. And, and obviously continue to grow it. And yeah, just everybody's invited. All you got to be is a, a yeah. dork, a nerd or a freak. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to join our little, a little, a little online army. Yeah. But I also just, I love how we can all promote each other's projects and it's just such a positive environment to be around. And I said, there's just so many different experts um, from all facets of life, like art and film and TV. And I I just think it's such a positive thing. I love that like when I need to brainstorm something or I need to get like someone's real input on something, I could just go to you guys and and you'll, you'll tell it to me straight. Free market research. You don't even can like conduct it. Just like, Hey guys, what do y'all think about this related to this character? And we're like, it sucks. Or, "Oh, Oh my God. Like uh, you immediately get some yeah, unfiltered, undigested raw data with which you can draw your own conclusions. Yeah, and and so we've you know we've we've gotten sad over stuff and mourned the passing of certain filmmakers before on the feed or just personal things that happen in each other's lives or celebrated births of uh, a new 
kid before and and um, new life and and I just think that um, and new projects and and I said I um, I am working on a project that's a personal thing that I will announce at some point but yeah your community uh, this community has been so supportive and amazing and I can't wait to bring it into this project as well very cool well in the in or between now and Wrong Reel 1000, where can people find you online if they want to talk about Bergman or Star Trek or Albert Brooks or Sony Pictures or whatever the case might be? Nice. Uh, you can find me at Hollywood Minotaur, and that's H. Wood Minotaur. I'm on Twitter all the time, and I love c talking to anybody and uh, all the film fans out there. It's just so much fun engaging with all of you. Um, and I also have a website called uh, BeckyDeanna.com. There's no apostrophe. I do have an apostrophe in my last name. It is not. There's no apostrophe in my website title, but that's B-E-C-K-Y-D-A-N-N-A.com, and that's got all my past podcasts. How come it's not geeking with BeckyDeanna.com? See, it's nice and simple. BeckyDeanna.com. Yeah, right. It's like it could be yeah. about anything. It could be about being a sailor killer, like, but it's just BeckyDeanna.com. Well, it's my website, which is the hub of all the stuff I do. But I think if I had a show, a, my own podcast show, it wouldn't be the Becky Deanna show because who am I? But uh, Becky Deanna, uh, baby. Yeah, oh, well, maybe one day. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like having a catchy name with that. But yeah, it, it's a hub where you can get all my, you know, published pieces and learn about me. And it's just a place to see all my past. Uh, podcast uh, appearances, which I would say 80% of them are wrong real. And I'm really proud of that. Beautiful. Well, it's been an absolute hoot and a half getting to look back at all these old episodes and I didn't embarrass myself by forgetting entirely. Like I always think like, are there episodes that I just have no memory of recording like whatsoever? But nothing came is. up. I was like, what the fuck is that? I don't remember that. I'm senile, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, my, my, my mind is still relatively intact, but for everybody out there listening who is been on an episode, listened to an episode, shared an episode, or just enjoyed the wrong real inner circle. I guess the, the thanks goes out to everybody involved because we're, we're all in this together and it's just been a pleasure and a privilege being at the, the hub of this wheel and I look forward to the next 500 episodes to come. And if you want to see my shiny bald head ranting and raving about different topics, Geekin, aka Dorkin, aka Nerdin with James Hancock is on YouTube if you want some more content in the near time, near near future or you can always find me on Twitter at Colbrax. But can't thank you enough for listening but more importantly, as always, onwards and upwards. It ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow.